What's your dream? What's your goal? What's your motivation? What's important to you? What's your passion? What can you do to change the world? This is What's Involved. Conversations with thought leaders and change makers from around the world. Hear stories of hope and inspiration to help motivate people like you to live your life, find your passion, and live your dream. Together, we can all bring positive change to our world. Now, here's your host, David Watts. And once again, it is another edition of What's Involved. I got a special guest for you this at, at this time. And uh, we were just talking uh, just before we, we came on air and I said to her, I am going to ask you if you're nuts at some stage. But before we get to that, let me tell you who my guest is. Uh, her name is Mbali Mklatsi and she is the latest addition to the National Geographic uh, series Snakes in the City. And uh, I don't, I'm sure most of you, most of you must, must, must know um, that's uh, Simon Keys and uh, Susie Gillette. They do this. It's for National Geographic Wild. Um, and the city that they're talking about, all these snakes, is uh, in, the, in the city of Durban. So, Mbali, welcome. It's so good to have you on the show. Thank you so much, David. Thank you so much for having me. So before I go into why on earth would you want to get involved with snakes in the city, <laughs> First, tell me a little bit about Mbali. Give me some of your background. Well, Mbali is a South African, born and bred, born in Limpopo, but grew up in Durban, KwaZulu-Natal. I am actually fascinated by anything that leaves breeds, and especially if there's some form of conservation awareness that can be done around that particular living creature. Um, I love bodybuilding. I think it's actually my world revolves around it. And yeah, I just love education. Okay. So now as a, as a youngster now growing up in, in KZN, um, I, I used to live uh, many years ago to Mumzumtoti for a while. And people in general are terrified of snakes and things that go bump in the night. And mm-hmm. I know, particularly in, in African culture as well, snakes are not. Yeah. They, they, pretty much the, the whole idea is good snake, dead snake. Um, so, yes. so, what attracted you to, to reptiles and living things? I think what attracted me was actually realizing a gap using my own fears because I was highly petrified of snakes. Believe me, <laughs> I couldn't look at them and I couldn't think of a better snake than a dead one like you did mention, um, especially because my granny has always been like my source of information. Um, yeah, so growing up, I was taught that snakes are evil. They are a sign of bad omen. They, you know, if you encounter one, it means you're going to die. So you don't even look them in the eye. And um, when I got involved in conservation as a volunteer at this organization that I, I volunteered at, I think it happened by default that I would have to actually learn about snakes and not only learn to actually better my knowledge around snakes, because I didn't have any to begin with, but I had to actually talk to people about snakes, help them understand them in a sense that they're not just living organisms, but 
they have a role, a very important one to play in our ecosystem. And I just had to make people fall in love with snakes. And if not fall in love with them, I had to help people who were scared of snakes understand them better and learn why we need to respect them and play our role in conserving them as well. Okay, well, that, that's understandable. I'm going to share a story about, of my own in just a little while. But before we get there, did I hear you correctly? You mentioned bodybuilding as well. Yes. So, so you not only are you a crazy snake lady, but you're also into the whole fitness thing. I'm just a crazy human being. And <laughs> I think it's so nice to be like a free-spirited person because you get to do the things that that feed your soul more than anything. So tell me not to do something. And that's exactly what I might actually think of doing. I've, I've always found myself under a spotlight whereby everything that I do is questioned. And in addition to it, I get told I'm crazy. Something is wrong with me. And especially with bodybuilding, it has always been seen as a sport for men and that women are not cut up for this. And to make it even worse, um, when I began with my bodybuilding journey, I had some of my peers telling me that I'll never make it because I'm vegetarian. So that also gave me another reason to keep going hard at it, just to prove to people that you don't need to be a certain way to achieve at something. You just need to have like the right mindset and that will get you like all the way which is the same thing uh, when it comes to snakes i'm african and even worse i'm a woman like who on earth would ever find snakes interesting and who on earth would actually want to change behaviors around snakes and all the meats that have been shared for so many years that no listen they are very important actually we need them more than they need us I'm I'm sitting here and I'm smiling because I'm <laughs> amazed when you talk about breaking the mold and everything, you know, it's, it's yes. almost like every, as you said, everything that's in, in, and specifically in, in <laughs> traditional African culture, I mean, a woman mm. bodybuilder would be frowned on big time. Okay. Because that's not what women are supposed to do. Um, you've got a very, yes. very interesting dress sense. I love it. Um, in one of the press photos, <laughs> You've got like the coolest, what are they, fellies uh, that, you, that you've got on there. I was, I was trying to have a look. It's one that they, they've, where is it now? Oh, now I can't find it. I was looking at it. But they amazingly colored. In fact, you, you fit right in with, with, with Susie and them. I think the only, problem, um, the only problem you might have is you don't have enough tattoos. <laughs> Do you know what Simon and Susie said? Uh-huh. They like I've got four tattoos currently. Um, and Simon and Susie were like, Wow, Bali, next time we get to see each other, we're hoping to see you with a long tattoo sleeve. <laughs> 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 but um, to my advantage, Simon is a good tattoo artist, so maybe he's gonna put some ink on my arm, and it's not just going to be a tattoo, but there's going to be a very meaningful story behind it. And I just love the fact that you say I fit in perfectly. Although fitting in has never been something that I've ever mentioned um, to do. But what I love personally on a personal level about Susie and Simon is that there's more to them than just their exterior. Like they don't care what they look like. And that's something that we share in common. Um, Get to know me as a person before you can actually make any judgment based 
impact on my exterior. Like my granny always said, like, you are going to get bored with me because everything I must like revisit has got to do with my granny. She always told me, you can have piercings all the way down to your toes as long as you're going to stay my lovable granddaughter that I've always known and that I brought you up to be always good with me. So when the world actually poses judgment on me, it's like it doesn't even make any sound, hey? Because the person that Mm. I loved dearly actually gave me all the guidance that I could ever use even at this present moment when it comes to how I carry myself out and what makes me the person that I've chosen to be. But that's that's what I think is 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 so awesome. And I often I often say to people, you know, celebrate your weirdness, celebrate your strangeness. Um, people people like and I include myself in this, uh, mm. what I love to call fringe dwellers. We kind of live <laughs> on the outsides of normal society and we peek in every now and again to see how the rest of the world are doing. And I think that is fantastic. It's It's the greatest thing to ever do. Awesome. Look, when we come back, I want to talk to you a little bit more about how you actually got involved uh, with the guys from Snakes in the City and, and, you know, just a little bit of your, your experience with snakes. I'll share one of mine as well, which is also why I laugh when I talk to you. This oh, is what's sad. involved. My special guest is Mbali Mtali. Uh, we'll be back in uh, just a bit. We'll be right back with more What's Involved. David would love to hear from you. To leave a voice message, visit whatsinvolved.com and click drop me a voice note. And we're back. What's Involved? It is my special guest, Mbali Mtali. Uh, am I getting the surname right? Because I, I generally, in any interview I do, I have to screw up at least once. David, I think that's the reason why I like you already. Because, um, <laughs> yo, it's a tricky thing for me. My best friend, Carl Schlomz, I used to call him Carl Schlomz. Because <laughs> <laughs> we, like, we don't have such surnames in, in my culture. Uh, my surname is actually spelled out as M-T-S-H-A-L-I, which is basically pronounced as Mjali. But please don't bite off your tongue because if you do, we're not going to be friends after this. <laughs> okay, so I got, them, I got them Charlie Pot almost correct, which is great. Now, which is great. Mbali, just in terms of, of, of your journey, you said you were volunteering at an organization, mm-hmm. but I believe you also ended mm-hmm. up working at a, at a reptile park. Tell me about that. Yes. Okay, so basically when I was actually training to become a volunteer at this nonprofit organization, um, I thought I would be actually focusing on teaching about conservation on other things. And I didn't know that I would actually have to learn snakes and also preach snake conservation whenever I had to report for duty. So that was 2012. and there is like a reptile section in the same facility where if you are lucky in a day, you get like an hour shift whereby you have to be on the floor and help people overcome their fears of snakes, which doesn't, which didn't only like require talking to them, but sometimes if the snakes were all right, by all right, I mean they hadn't eaten in like a while because you don't want to like physically 
handle snacks that have just eaten, it can be detrimental on them because they may want to regurgitate their food and that can actually make them sick. And some snakes can actually die if they get to regurg after they've eaten. So at the facility, we did, we used to do like impromptu snake demonstrations whereby you take one out and you just walk up to people and be like, who wants to meet, who wants to meet a snake today? Uh, have you ever touched a snake? Any idea what it feels like? Why are you scared of snakes? And you just kind of help them ease their fears just by having a live snake in front of them. If they want to touch, they could. If they want to hold it completely by themselves, you could also allow for them to do that. But obviously, because you're not just proving a point, but you are actually looking out for the animal's welfare, you wouldn't actually give a snake completely to somebody whom you feel is likely to actually get a fright and just drop the snake on the floor. Yeah. Okay. All right. And 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 you sort of got to to like these slithery, scary creatures. I love them. Yeah. <laughs> like is an understatement. <laughs> let me tell you. Let me tell you my story. Okay. So, um, not not like yours at all. But um, mm-hmm. I was born and, and raised in Johannesburg, and then okay. uh, later in life, I moved to the Lowveld to Mpumalanga. And mm-hmm. I was involved in radio there. And somebody at one stage said, have you ever thought about learning more about the province and being a tour guide? So I thought, yeah, okay, why not? Mm. Then I came across some other people and they were involved in field guiding. They wow. Said, have you ever studied to be a field guide? I was like, nope, but it sounds fun because when I moved there, I was, I was number one, good snake, dead snake. Um, and number two, wow. two kinds <laughs> of birds, okay? you got doves. And you got mossy. That was the two kinds of birds you got. So this was like opening up a whole new world for me. Um, and, and I was fortunate enough I got to work with some of the top, top people. Um, and eventually when I was going for my level three field guide certification, part oh, wow. of that part of that was snakes and snake handling. And at this mm. stage, I'd, I'd gotten to know um, a gentleman at the Swadini Reptile Park called Donald Strader. Mm. Um, Donald's been on National Geographic before as well. And I mm. had to attend, what was it, three or four days um, mm. of how to deal with snakes, venomous snakes, how to identify them, what to yes. do. And I have to tell you, I was petrified and I said, can't we just <laughs> take them all out and shoot them? And once you start to learn about the role that snakes play and, and, and mm. the role they play in our environment and, and why they mm. are there. And, mm. and you know, not that, they're probably more scared of us than, than we are mm. of them. But I was a city boy suddenly going into, into Mpumalanga and, and in the low felt in the bush. There's a lot of snakes there, okay? There's, there's a mm. lot all the time. It's, it's pretty much, I guess, like wow. Durban. Um, we've got the, we had a lot of the um, Mozambican spitting cobras there. Uh, oh, nice. Some places there's puff adders, mumbers, uh, mm. twig snakes, which I, we lived in a house where uh, there was a creeper at the front of the house and there was a, a family, a picked up twig snakes that lived in that little creeper. And yeah. I walked past for months without even knowing they were there. And then one, when I saw them, I was like, okay, morning, morning. And uh, <laughs> a lot of people would, would not know that. Then 
you know, there's the spotted bush snakes. It becomes absolutely fascinating. So now you fell in love, as you say. How, how on earth did you get from, from being somebody volunteering, falling in love, and, and then suddenly you, you're, with, uh, you're with Simon and Susie and, and they're going, okay, well, how about a spot for Mbali? How does that work? Okay, so basically, um, you know, it's been a crazy journey, hey? But as you say, that one has got to like keep to what makes them feel like they are the most alive. When I was volunteering at the reptile, at the reptile park, the greatest thing about volunteering, and I know there's still a lot of people who look down on volunteers, especially in South Africa, unlike in other parts of the world, um, that volunteering for starters, I'm not going to be long, is seen as something that can only be done by people who might either not great at something or who might have like special needs. Whereas you go to other parts of the world, you learn that volunteers are respected because these are kind people who share their time without actually seeking an incentive, but to actually promote, you know, goodwill. So when I fell in love with the snakes from being scared, what made me fall in love with them wasn't having touched this snake for the first time, but it was actually learning their important ecological role, like how certain snakes eat rats, how some snakes eat birds, how certain snakes eat frogs. And, you know, I don't, I, I don't think I would appreciate having a lot of rats in my space because, you know, they are good at destroying things. They chew down cables, they can eat your clothes. And they can leave mites behind. So if anyone can actually volunteer to eat a rat, I don't think anyone of us humans would ever take up that job to eat a rat. But snakes do that job voluntary for us. And then the other one, um, <laughs> one of my aunts is petrified of frogs. So if you don't appreciate frogs, you must have a snake that's going to actually remove them for you. So you can see they are, they are good at many jobs. And when you learn certain facts about animals, I actually, it's a feeling that you cannot actually, you know, um, avoid, which is, ha, huh, you guys are actually a lot cooler than us humans. Look at the amazing work that you do. Look how you actually keep the food web and food chains functional. Snakes, just like any other creature, they've got a role to play and ensuring that we don't have too much of this and too much of that. Because once there's too much of certain species than the other, it means that the, the greater food web is actually left imbalanced. And that's when problems can actually begin. And then learning about snakes in the city, it was through a friend of mine. Um, who mentored me through the whole thing. His name is Carl Schlams, and this guy is so amazing and well-respected by a lot of snake handlers, um, people who are in fishing because he's a good fisherman. And he does conservation around anything and everything. And one thing that I like about, about him is that he's such a mentor in a sense that he doesn't keep to himself. He wants for other people to actually make sense of living creatures and also advocate for them because that's how conservation gets to work. If we're not communicating the stories about the creatures, we're not doing conservation any justice. So he actually, obviously because he's popular, he got a call from somebody from Earth Touch whom actually explained to him that he she was looking for somebody 
who could actually do snake work, teaching people, learn more about snakes and be involved in handling them here and there. And I said, okay, where is this happening? Because you know, I already have a full-time job. He says to me, no, Bali, it's a once in a lifetime opportunity. And if I can just tell you more details about this, it's not just someone that you're going to be shadowing, but you're going to be working with Simon and Susie from Snakes in the City. And I'm like, the National Geographic world, the Snakes in the City guys. And he says, yes, it's those two. I was like, oh my gosh, what is expected of me? <laughs> and then he says to me, well, you just need to be yourself. Continue being the crazy person that we know for you to be. And just fly the conservation flag, man. Learn as much as you can. And then I'm like, you're not bluffing me. He says, no, it's not April the 1st. It's not April Fool's Day. I am being serious. So will you accept? Can I give your number to this lady? Maybe she can phone you. And from the first moment we spoke with the lady on the phone, she was like, oh my gosh, can we do a video call? Because you can talk. You've got a big mouth on you. And I like that. <laughs> and I can just sense that everything that you've just said over this phone call now has got nothing to do um, with other things or being on TV. But I can sense that you are strongly conservation driven. And I think that's the, that's the talent we've been hoping to get. And then I did like an on-screen interview and she was like, Mali. I'm going to be sending you the schedule so that you know when we start filming. And I was like, wow. But um, I wasn't even that excited about being on TV. It was actually knowing that I am going to be involved in a way with National Geographic and I'm going to be mentored by Simon and Susie for countless weeks because National Geographic will always be like, you know, my favorites. I'm not big when it comes to watching you know, um, scripted stuff. I love like your real and raw content. And I think National Geographic has been great at doing that. Not only do they promote what is happening around us or what kind of nature surrounds us, but they are good at helping us build an emotional connection with her creatures and also understand the roles that each animal has got to play. And they don't only make the animal look great or amazing, but they look out for human beings as well. No matter what kind of background you come from, you can kind of reason and understand exactly why we need enough of these animals and why each creature needs to be conserved and not preserved. Because preserving is when it's already too late. But when you are conserving, you are actually helping for them to thrive and you create awareness around that animal whilst you're helping people to reason why they and why they need the respect that we should be giving them. Because if you think about it, our planet is amazing and it can well self-sustain. So it needs for us to look out for our planet and her resources because if you remove man, when I say man, I don't mean a male person. I mean a human being. So if you remove man from our planet, everything can well function and self-sustain. But mm. once humans are involved, our job shouldn't be to actually harm our environment. It should be to actually protect it and nurture it. And yeah, that's basically um, what made me all excited about being part of snakes in the city 
Yeah. Wonderful stuff. My special guest is Dumbali Mchali, and uh, we'll be back with Dumbali in just a bit uh, to find out a little bit more because I'm fascinated. I'm a huge fan of, of National Geographic, National Geographic Wild, um, and uh, I love watching snakes in the city because, um, number one, I can now appreciate the snakes, but also um, these guys, Simon and Susie, know what they're talking about and some of the situations. So we'll get back and we'll talk a little bit about that. This is what's involved. Hey, like what you're hearing? Share the podcast with your family and friends and spread the word. This is what's involved. And we're back. My special guest is Mbali Mshali. And uh, we're, we're talking about snakes in the city. She is the latest uh, addition to the snakes in the city crew. Um I'm amazed again to just put it out there. Susie, for example, is is allergic uh, to Mozambican spitting cobra venom. I mean, she can't even can't even touch her, and yet she's out there. She's doing it. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. Have you started? You must have started filming. You must have filmed a couple because um, we're recording this on uh, Independence Day, so it's the fourth of July. But we're having our chat and. Uh, I'm not mistaken, the first episode with you in it goes out this coming Wednesday night, isn't it? Yes, yes. That will be 6 o'clock this coming Wednesday, the 6th of July, um, on National Geographic World, Channel 182 on DSTV. Awesome. So now tell me about filming. Take me through, um, well, first and foremost, what was it like to actually meet Simon and Susie for the first time? I was... Starstruck, <laughs> but I don't think they could actually see that because Simon and Susie are such humble and relaxed individuals. Even if you feel like screaming, like "Oh my gosh, that is Simon and Susie," it just cannot happen because you know they are their aura is just like out of this world. So I was starstruck and I was like, "Hey guys." How's it going? And it's so funny because it felt like we'd actually met before. We hadn't even been um, talking on the phone. Our first encounter was like so real. Um, what was amazing about them, again, apart from being humble, is that they treat everybody the same. And they just want for people to be great at whatever it is that they're doing. Like about my bodybuilding, that's one of the things they actually brought up. They were like, oh my gosh, you're huge. You're bigger than what we saw from the pictures. <laughs> and then we connected on a personal level because um, Susie's father um, was and still is in bodybuilding, um, especially boxing. And I already received a magazine that. Susie's, Susie's father, Tony, had signed especially for me. Um, yeah, so it was amazing meeting them. And it just made me know that I am here to learn and to be celebrated and to be supported more than anything, which is quite amazing. It, it was such a rare feeling. Well, that's, that, that is absolutely amazing. And what a great story. So now... Just take me through the first day that, that you guys were going to go out and film because we see the finished product, but we don't see everything that goes into this behind the scenes. I mean, it's not literally, you know, them just jumping in a car and off they go and then one, two, three, yeah. the snake is caught and they all yay and release it. There must be yeah. more. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for bringing that up because um, 
like I've been talking with my friends that if they see snakes, they better make sure that when snakes in the CC is filming, they call because um, it's funny how we still call these um, behind the scenes stuff because, you know, because it's reality content or reality TV. There is no staging. There is no preps prior to each capture. You receive a phone call and the person will be asked, do you have a snake? And they're like, yeah. When last did you see it? And they'll tell you. What color was the snake? How long was it? How thick was it? Was it on the ground? Was it? So the person will actually give you as much details as they possibly can. Can you still see the snake? And if it's contained um, in a room, then the person will be advised, please shut the windows from the outside, close the door. And if you have a towel, for example, just make sure that you block the bottom of the door so that the snake stays contained. Do not approach it, but keep an eye make sure that it does not disappear. So we will then start driving um, after the person has sent us their direct location. We lucky to have these amazing um, social media platforms these days whereby we can just share our current locations. So we drive to the area. Obviously, we'll be talking in the car. Um, if there's any pictures that the person has sent, we can kind of make what kind of species we're going to be catching. Like, for example, if it looks anything like a Mozambique spitting cobra, obviously that's the part where Susie or the producer will be like, okay, it's just going to be Simon and, um, Simon and Bali on this one um, because it's a spitter. And if it's like, for example, say it's a, a black mamba, then the, the producer again will say, okay, this is going to be um, Simon and Susie on this one. But Bali, I want you to be there. You're going to shadow because... For you to be able to catch anything that could be lethal, you must have actually made sure that you've shadowed enough and you are certain of how you go about handling a snake on your own. So that's about all the preparation there ever is. Um, we don't ever like plan what one is going to say, how one is going to turn, how one is going to drop the snake when we are releasing. It's you like you are just being natural and you have to ignore that there's a camera behind you or in front of you. The only time you need to remember that there's a camera is when you are actually showing the audience what snake you had just caught. Because if you're going to be clumsy about it, like I did often than not, then you are actually depriving the viewer an opportunity to get like a proper ID of that particular snake. Like for example, it has been caught and now you are going to release it. You cannot actually try recapturing that snake for the sake of making sure that when you release it, it looks amazing. It's a once-off thing and it's done. Mm, and the behind-the-scenes the behind stuff, people who have had the Snakes in the City crew coming down to their dwellings, to their households to remove snakes for them, will tell you that... Um, Nothing is ever prepped. We just get there, we do our business and we talk to the to the to the people and then we'll say our goodbyes and off we go. If there's any behind the scenes they are, it's the stuff that gets that doesn't get like featured in the episodes because obviously there's only so much time for airing. But if it went for TV time, I think you would get to see all the proceedings from when we get a phone call to when we 
look for the snake because sometimes you search for like four hours and there's nothing. Yeah. Sometimes you leave and there's no snake and you get called like a couple of days later and it may not even be the same household. It might have moved to another house. Wow. It's, a, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. And, you know, to, it is to, be able to, to be able to do something like that with camera crew and producers around you, and Bali, when we come back, I want to I want to wrap up very very quickly with you, um, and uh, just find a little bit more uh, about stakes in the city and what what Mbali is planning on doing. We'll be back in just a bit. This is what's involved. My special guest is Mbali Umshali. You're listening to What's Involved with David Watts. Have you been to our website? Check it out: www.whatsinvolved.com. And while you're there, click on the coffee mug icon and buy David a cup of coffee. He'll love it. And we're back with my special guest, Mbali Mchali. Um, so, Mbali, before I let you go, I, I just need to, to find out that what was two things that you need to tell me. The, the most exciting thing that you've done whilst filming Snakes in the City and also the scariest thing. Okay, the most exciting thing that I did whilst filming Snakes in the City was finally getting to catch my favorite snake. Um, obviously with guidance from Simon and Susie, which I'm not going through disclosing details about because you guys know that the show is going to be premiering on Wednesday. So just set a reminder on your TV if you must. Um, you know, my favorite snake, my favorite venomous snake, I had never seen ever in the world before snakes in the city happened. So that was just amazing for me. Um, and then the most scariest, that was the second question, right? Yep. So the most scariest <laughs> was when I had to catch a snake that I knew Simon had set me up for, which I'm not going to dwell much on. And yeah, the capture was successful. And that's all I can say at this given moment. Wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> You're you're on snakes in the city now, um, yes. and and they, you obviously film it. Uh, it's a seasonal thing. Um, yes. So, what's next now for Mbali? Where I mean, there must be doors open for you. Jeez. Um, oh my gosh. I think what is next on a personal side, um, because I feel like conservation has got a way of opening doors for you. It's so amazing when you do something that you love and something that you are highly passionate about and something that you are not lazy to, you know, use every opportunity that's given to tell the stories and create as much awareness as possible. Um, that's why I feel people in conservation do not age. Look at Simon, look at Susie. They are mm -hmm. in their late 40s, but they look as young as me, if not even younger, because they are, they get to live their passion on a daily and anything that makes you feel like you are the most alive. I think it has a way of prolonging your, your well-being or your life even. So what is next on a personal point of view or, or personal side is I've always dreamed of having a nonprofit depression center. Because I feel like there's a lot of people in our, not like in the globe, who are just going through things, but they find it difficult to even share with their friends whatever challenges they must be waking up every day to face. Depression is something that I feel 
a lot of people like or choose to turn a blind eye on. And it's not, I'm sorry to use this term, but I'm going to use it because that's what most people will often say. It's not a white man's disease or a white man's syndrome. Mm -hmm. Depression is real. It's got to do with one's emotion, emotional state and, you know, mental state of mind. Every one of us deserves to be heard if you are going through things. And the reason why I want to have a depression center is because I actually realized that there's a lot of youngsters whom are challenged with depression, but because they are so young, they haven't even learned to actually exercise their speech. And those that are brave or talkative like myself, whenever they try to vent out about their emotions or whatever, they get told, oh, they love attention or they've been too much. So I just, before we can even discover what spots we are great at and what makes us amazing um, with everything that we get to face every day, I just wish to wake up to a day where every in individual, young or small, we actually feel like they are alive mentally first before they get to like, you know, um, deal with whatever work they've chosen to to practice on and yeah before they can even decide to make friends they must be alive and healthy on the mental side of things and then the other one is i think i want to fly the bodybuilding flag for south africa whether i continue to do competitions or not because i did do a bodybuilding competition last year which was my first one and the national geographic was so supportive when i was actually going through the journey of my bodybuilding so i want for more women especially to understand that sports are not for like a select few they are for any person whom is able and alive to actually participate on. For me, bodybuilding is not just a sport that I do because I want to look different or I want to be seen like I'm different from other women, but it's something that I do because it feeds my mental state of uh, um, my mental state. And it's also a way of making sure that we look out for our health. Another thing. Those of you who are in sports, you will know that how your body transforms or how your body changes over the years that you've been in sports for, there is more that happens on the mental side of things. It teaches you discipline and it also helps for you to know that the chickens are doing their own thing. <laughs> it also helps for you to learn that there's never too much of a task that you must face. Bodybuilding teaches one discipline that you have to finish what you've started, that you are able and that you are going to be an inspiration even without choice. Because the more you get better at it, the more people actually start to be brave. Instead of saying, oh my gosh, why must you have so much of piercings? You are possessed with demons. But it changes to, oh my gosh, I just love your body. I don't care what your name is. And I just want to say, wow, keep going. You look amazing. And that alone is one thing you always go back to whenever you feel like you must come up with excuses not to train. Because you know now, what about the person who looks up to you as inspiration? Well, Bali, I've got to tell you, uh, number one, you look stunning. Um, the piercings oh, are great, um, as we discussed thank the tattoos. You. But as you said during the, the, the at the Starless conversation, I, I've spent a little bit of time, and and we've gotten to know 
in Bali. And I think that's, that's amazing. Yeah. And I'm, I'm so happy that I got to talk to you uh, and that you're doing what you're doing. I love the idea about that uh, Center for, for Depression um, because I think after COVID, we haven't even seen the mental effects yet. Mm. And uh, it's not, as you say, just a white man's disease. I, mm. and I've spoken openly about this, I've, I've suffered with depression. And I used to be one of those people that used to say, oh, just get over it, man. Just pick yourself up. It's, yeah. it's nothing. Uh, until I yeah. got there myself. And when you've been there yeah. and you know that dark place. Uh, so I will say this to you. When you get this right, if you need any help, give me a shout. I'm there for you. Oh, dear David, thank you so much. And the feeling is quite mutual. I'm so pleased to have met you and to have had this interview with you. I've also been um, a, well, a victim of depression. And this is why I, I wish parents could actually treat their children as their best friends. Because when we get sent off to school, parents have got no choice but to hope that we are being surrounded by positivity only, even with the choices of friends that we made. But how my depression actually started was when I began gaining a lot of weight. And um, people stopped, my peers stopped calling me Mbali. They began calling me Stula, um, Lente Around, which means, um, you know, fatty, the mm. one without a shape. So they used to call me like a, a, that round thing. And it just, you know... Because I'm very loud and I'm bold. A lot of people actually missed how it was affecting me mentally. Until mm. I started telling my story, then everybody was like, oh my gosh, we didn't know um, how much of an effect this mm. could actually do to one. So to the youngsters out there, please treat other children with kindness. If you are going to be saying things to other children, make sure that they are the right things, things that are going to make you amazing friends and things that are going to make other children tell their parents and say, oh, I made, I met a David at school today and oh, he just made me feel so good. He said my shoelaces were done nicely. You understand. Not um, We shouldn't be saying things through our mouths that are to bring other children down. And to parents as well, we have to learn to support our children I'm a mom of a cat, <laughs> but I'm sounding like I'm a mom of a human being. So we have to like teach our children to be kind towards other children and that we shouldn't be using our children to compete with their parents. Because mm. nowadays you find that people are not even interested to learn how amazing each individual child is. It's a matter of knowing how amazing my child is well, Mbali, as I said, it's amazing. The message that you're giving out to, to people is amazing. Um, I, for one, can't wait to see you uh, along with Simon and Susie because I think it's going to be absolutely amazing. He says, as you mentioned earlier, you're the mother of a cat. Did you, did you see, see this? You guys that are... You guys that are listening to this miss the real behind the scenes stuff. <laughs> because I we have a cat. Well, we've got a couple Aww. of cats. But this one in particular loves being on video or on a podcast or an interview. So she's got to make a plan and come in and be seen all the time. So there we go. Anyway, you guys missed that picture. It. Uh, my special guest is uh, Mbali Mshali. 
Thank you so much for taking the time, Adam Pali, and we do wish you all the best. Thank you so much, David, for having me, and thank you so much for your time. Wonderful stuff. There we go. Wraps it up for what's involved. My special guest, the Mbalim Tali. Check it out, National Geographic Wild Snakes in the City, coming up this Wednesday. Uh, to each and every one of you, look after yourselves, take care, and thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to What's Involved. We hope this episode inspires you to find your passion and live your dream. Don't forget to rate, review, and share the podcast. And to see what's happening, what's going on, and what's coming, follow What's Involved on Facebook and Twitter at What's Involved. Thanks again for listening.